Welcome to the UCLA Anderson Drive Time Podcast. My name is Dylan Stafford. I am your host. And with me today, we have our very own, UCLA Anderson's very own, Brian Thomas, FEMBA class of 2014. And we are live in Culver City at the world headquarters of Clutter, the company that Brian is co-founder of. And Brian, just thank you for having us here. This is exciting. Yeah, this is thrilling. Always happy to support UCLA. Well, you've already won just by existing because this is a $100 million success story that we're going to get to share your journey since graduating UCLA Anderson. And I guess let's just jump in. Um, Clutter is successful because Clutter is unique and Clutter is also a little complicated. So why don't you just start with telling, telling the world, what is Clutter? So Clutter is full service moving and storage. We're disrupting the $38 billion a year self-storage industry. Mm-hmm. What we'll do is we'll send our W-2 employees to your home. They will photograph and catalog every item in your house. We will load it into our truck, transport it to a warehouse. When you want something back, you can log into the website. You can see photos of all of your items and say, bring me back my skis or just my Christmas ornaments. They'll be back at your door within 48 hours. So the storage business has been the thrust for the first four years or so. We recently launched Moving, which will be another large market for us to tackle. And we really do think of ourselves bigger than that. We're going to be a logistics company, but Mm -hmm. we've gone after two very attractive markets in storage and moving to start. I love thinking about your model because to me, it's like no late night visits to the scary, dusty, dirty, spider infested. You know, you don't have to put yourself in harm's way. (laughs) I think of I think of storage and I think of Silence of the Lambs. You know, it's just a horrible thing. Yours is the far other opposite end from that. That they would come to your apartment, professionally gather your materials, your precious stuff, wrap it in bubble wrap, take care of it, itemize it, and then how do you? So I forgot Aunt Myrtle's lamp. How do I? Then what do I do to get Aunt Myrtle's lamp brought back to me? Yeah. So since you have photos of everything, it's very easy to see what you want back. You log into the Clutter website. You can select those items and have them return. If you're a little more old school and you want to talk to somebody, we have a call center. We're happy to help navigate those items for you. Now, this this sounds like too good to be true. How do you how do you find a margin in that? Like, how have you found efficiencies to make such a profitable business? Great question. So the self storage industry has incredible margins. Theirs is upwards of eighty percent. Now, we've added a lot of logistics on top of that so that we can delight our customers. Our margins look like half of that, Mm -hmm. but still plenty of space to play with. When you just think about a 80% margin business, I see opportunity. And given how bad the existing self-storage experience is, where you do everything yourself, they raise your rates all the time, it's just frustrating in general – there was this opportunity to delight customers and still be a profitable business just given the attractive dynamics of the market. That's amazing. Well, so we're here four years after graduation. You have 480 employees. You just brought on 100 employees the last month? That's correct. That is incredible. So you are are stair-stepping through all of the stages of corporate culture and getting people aligned and, and just dealing with growth. What's your biggest concern at the moment with with where you are right now? Biggest concern would be how we maintain culture as we scale. Mm -hmm. You go through this massive hiring spurt and you need to be very deliberate about onboarding and making sure people understand the culture. It's easier in the earlier days because everyone can just cue off you as the founder. They just see you and model your behavior. They can ask you questions directly. But now at 480 people and 100 in the last 30 days, like, 
I have not had a chance to meet the last hundred hires. Right. And so you need to put structure in place in order to allow the culture to scale. One of the ways we're doing that is we've hired a director of learning and development. Nice. Which will be a huge way for us to invest in the team once we've hired them. And how many people are here in Culver City and then where are your other employees? So this is just under 100 people here. We have our engineering team, our product team, finance and accounting, marketing, sales, care, talent, people, learning and development, all here at HQ. And then the thrust of the org, because we are a logistics company, is the operations team. And they are located in the warehouses throughout the country. So we'll have a director in each location, warehouse manager, field manager, and then hundreds of moving pack specialists and warehouse associates. And you've, you've been in the news. There was the Forbes article when you got, was that your third round of financing? So last May, $64 million in the Series C, led by Atomico and Google Ventures, brought our total funding to $97 million. I'm going to round, round it up to 100. I'm yeah, going to round that to 100. Yes, yes. <laughs> Rounding it. <air. laughs> I love it. And along the way, we've emailed, and, and you were actually coming back to Anderson because you had MBA-level jobs that you needed filled. Yes. Um, and we have hired out of Anderson quite successfully. Um, great program and a great source of talent for us. And what were the, you know, just to kind of help people who are listening kind of scope it, what types of MBA jobs does this type of company what are you looking for? So some of the open roles right now, we have VP of marketing, we have product manager, we have several engineering roles, we have roles on the finance team, all that MBA strongly preferred, if not required. And we like to optimize for very intelligent people that can learn quickly and adapt. And you often find that with MBAs. I would hope so. I would hope so, <laughs> since you and I are both people who put ourselves through that journey to try to open up horizons. So let's let's kind of let's let's step back a little bit and kind of take people back to UCLA Anderson to FEMBA because clutter was an idea that was being born during your B school experience. So kind of help people go from back then to where you are now. Yep. So I was brainstorming different business ideas with my co-founder, Ari. We had two big criteria of what we were looking for. We were looking for a big market mm -hmm. and a personal pain point. Big market because it takes the same effort to build a million-dollar company as a billion-dollar company. It takes all your effort. And so you might as well swing big. And then secondly, a personal pain point. I wanted to solve something that I thought was frustrating and could make better. And so my mom received a rate increase letter from her local self-storage facility. She wrote a letter back. Hey, I'm the best customer. I've been storing here for 10 years. I always pay my bills on time. I rarely visit. It seems like you're trying to kick me out of the building. Stop raising my rates or I'm going to leave. And my mom shows me this letter. And it's a pretty obvious aha moment at Anderson at the time. I researched the market, learned that then $33 billion a year, now $38 billion a year market, so huge market, personal pain point, a great jumping off point to attack an opportunity. Oh, I love it. I have not heard that distinction of, of the size of the market and connected to a personal pain point. How did you come up with that framework to evaluate? So my co-founder, Ari, had one criteria, big market. He mm -hmm. had been an entrepreneur for a decade, mm -hmm. and that was his primary takeaway. To go get money from the best investors in the world, you have to be going after something meaty, something mm -hmm. really big. It's just the nature of the VC world. They are looking for home runs. And so you can build a great business that's not necessarily venture-backed, but 
we were looking to disrupt a massive industry and to do that quickly. Venture capital helps you compress that time frame. We're mm-hmm. going to do what public storage did in 30 years in eight. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you need capital and lots of it. And then for me, the personal pain points often hear about where to look for ideas, things that you see that are broken mm-hmm. and would like to be better is a ripe area to explore. And, and for our listeners, this was not your first entrepreneurial venture. This was my first venture-backed company, but I had started before this a very small business. Really, I launched a single product, a game called Mad Dragon. This is an anger control card game for kids. And I launched this having worked at a psychological publishing company for six years. It was just an area where I had domain expertise. Created this game, 100 Cards, helps teach kids age 6 to 12 how to control their anger. And so that was my kind of first foray into just starting my own thing. Mm-hmm. But that, you, you went from 10000 in revenue to 50000 in revenue. I mean, that was a more sort of prototypical small business, single proprietor success story, right? Yep. That was a, exactly, small business would be the way I kind of think about it. I saw a smaller opportunity. The market wasn't massive there, but I had a unique view on the market. I'm going to create a card game at a price point where the school psychologists, therapists, and teachers that are often spending money out of pocket to buy these games because there wasn't always funding in the schools and just focus on that 1995 price point with a game that actually helps teach anger control. And so that, that was Mad Dragon. And you were doing that during FEMBA? That one I did. That was the first thing I did after being fired from my last job. So six months into the FEMBA program, I was pushing too hard at my employer. I was fired. And then it was, let's figure out the next thing that I'm going to do. The next thing I was going to do was start my own business. Now, what does pushing too hard mean? <laughs> uh, so I'd helped the business grow from 10 to 30 million, but they had opportunity to do way more than that 30 million. They could have owned entire categories in the psychological publishing space, but they didn't have the ambition or the gumption to, to take the big swings. And I was hungry for that. We were kind of talking earlier, Dylan, about entrepreneurship. So I maybe crossed that line, but then it helped me start my own entrepreneurial journey. Well, you know, we have to reframe our history or else, it, you know, sometimes those mistakes, they, but, you know, that was not a mistake if it led to this. Yep. And, and their loss. And, you know, Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix. And when's the last time any of us went in a Blockbuster, you know? It's like, how do you see an opportunity when it's in front of you? And, and it sounds like they missed one. But to our gain, to our gain. So let's let's talk about the origins of Clutter. So you, you found a big market and you found a pain point. Where do you go from there? So then it was start the business, just get it live. And one of the things that I've learned on this journey is this concept of minimum viable product, just to get it out in the world and learn from that experience. I also was just looking for additional feedback on the viability of the business. So I pitched the concept at the entrepreneurship venture initiation class I had with Shine Rock. I got five of my classmates on board to start thinking about and working on Clutter. And after a week or so, the team tells me that it is impossible and it cannot be done. Mm. And I politely told them, I'm going to continue without you. And I effectively, I don't remember what I 
grade I got in that class. So I wasn't working on the new idea, which was a screen printing business. Instead, I continued working on clutter on my own. And where from there? I remember helpful advice along the way. I remember visiting Shine Rock in his office and just asking him, I'm not crazy. A lot of people are telling me I'm crazy that I think that this business has legs. And he told me, you've got a puncher's chance. <laughs> and that was enough to keep me going. Which is interesting is this entrepreneurial journey is so hard that I've found kind words along the way have lifted me a lot. And many of the people that I met at Anderson were those kind words and that lifting me on the journey. But okay, so what then once you have the idea? Just launch. So incorporate the business and I started running the pickups myself. I would deliver plastic bins to customers' homes. I would do the pickups, all the first hundred jobs I did myself. And in doing so, I was able to help figure out product market fit. Customers did want, not want the first iteration of the product. I'd deliver a bin, they would do the work themselves and then tell me to come pick the bin up. That was not the pain point. The pain point was I have valuable things in my home that I don't want to deal with packing, storing, and transporting. And so I'd be in people's homes and say, can you take the lamp? Can you take the TV? And the answer was just yes, because that's what they were asking for. Mm -hmm. And so the actual service offering changed dramatically in those early days just because I was getting customer feedback. So you yourself went to 100 people's homes at the starting point, ground zero of the whole journey. Yes. Was um, there anybody with you? Employee number one, Joey, my best friend. I had to convince his wife to have him take the leap. I made one promise to them. I said, I promise I will always pay you before I pay myself. And so it was about two years there where I wasn't really drawing a salary. And I never missed payroll for the rest of the team. Wow. Now, that was your third year of FEMBA that this began? So, the in the second year. So, year one was launching Therapy Game Headquarters, a different failed business idea that I won't jump into now, and then Clutter. And so, it was about the halfway point of my FEMBA journey. What did your classmates think of your... <laughs> how you were... And we're going to talk about ruthless prioritization, but you know what, was, what were people saying when you told them what you were doing? So there was the EBI class telling me, impossible, mm -hmm. don't waste your time. But I found a lot of other supportive voices, and a lot of those were coming through groups like the Entrepreneurship Association, or mm -hmm. just jumping into activities like the 30-second pitch competition, or NAP, or finding the professors, mentors, people at the university that had that experience or could be helpful in some way. So there were a lot of encouraging voices as well. And also just seek out other entrepreneurs. Like in the FEMBA program I was in, there were a couple that seeing them on their journey also gave me confidence to continue mine. Like Eunice, who started um, Ayla. I hope I'm not butchering the name of her brand. Yeah. So okay. So finding like-minded people. I'm not. I'm not the only one. And then, and as you said, the small words of encouragement. Even if it's, well, you're not crazy. You've got a puncher's chance. But that's that's different than impossible. Like there's a there's a little bit of there's a little ray of light coming through the doorway of you have a puncher's chance. Yeah. There's this saying that as an entrepreneur, you're naked in front of the mirror. Mm. You are aware of all your own flaws because everything that is working or not working is your own fault. That extreme responsibility is also liberating. It's also terrifying because <laughs> you are the reason for success or failure. I just found that I would see those flaws and I would just keep working 
on addressing them or fixing the business problem that I had identified. And you, you define Clutter as a logistics company. Yes. So we have grander aspirations than the storage and moving market where we are currently focused. Those are great markets for us because storage has recurring revenue and moving is something that people do 11 times in their life. People mm. move often. And so it's a great way to build the brand recognition and just it's a cash cow. It generates cash immediately to help fund some of our other grander ambitions. But so just an example of how we're going to be a logistics company is we sign massive warehouse leases. Mm -hmm. We're taking down 450,000 square feet in South Jersey. So allow us to serve both Manhattan and Philly and everything in between. Well, 450,000 is a lot of space. So now how do we continue to offer services to fill that space faster? One option is being a third-party logistics company. Mm -hmm. So we can work B2B with larger companies that are receiving containers and they need storage for those containers before they get distributed out to their stores or different locations. So we think bigger than the market that we're in now, but we've focused on storage to this point because you can't do it all. <laughs> yes, so let's, let's talk about ruthless prioritization. I asked you as we were getting ready, and you said that one of the things that really is valuable to you is, is developing that work habit of ruthless prioritization. So tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, so particularly important in the early days of the startup, what is the thing you have to prove to unlock the next level of success? And so, you know, early days, Clutter, it was, is this something customers want? And the iterations on the actual service offering, eventually getting to... Whatever you want to store, we will store. <laughs> yeah, you're in their apartment. They say, what about the television? And your yes. answer was yes. And then it's, can I get our marketing costs down so that this can be a massive and disruptive business? So think about the headline when we went to raise our Series A was, clutter is replacing the equivalent of a self-storage facility every month. Hmm. So that concept of we're attacking a big market and we are taking big chunks out of it. That was the story, the growth story. And so about ruthless prioritization, how do we make that true? Mm -hmm. At the time, we needed to launch another market so that we could get more customers. Mm -hmm. There's several different ways to achieve that end, but that was how we chose to achieve it. Let's take a model that was working in Los Angeles, launch it in San Francisco, get those incremental customers, go out with the growth story, raise that capital, and then and then on to the next thing. And how do you, as you're, you have heft now, but as you initially were acquiring customers, what was your strategy to do that? A lot that didn't work. <laughs> okay, yes, not it, not it. So not I it. was a director of marketing for the publishing company that I was at for years. All of the marketing strategies that I had learned there did not work for Clutter. Okay. So I was running out of ideas and was then having to just learn new spaces, like learn different niches within marketing. What ended up working was performance marketing online, so mm -hmm. AdWords, mm -hmm. and then interestingly, a call center. So it's interesting as a technology company, I'm initially trying to drive consumers through the app or through our online purchasing flow, when what proved to work was the good old-fashioned telephone. Nice. So where did you set up your first call center? 
um, right in the first office that we were in. So we were working out of an accelerator in Venice called Amplify. And that is not the typical use case for mm -hmm. a startup to have call center reps on the phone every day. Mm -hmm. um, we did, and we put them in, there was this tiny conference room that was under the staircase where I remember <laughs> Josh and Will would be taking calls in this tiny cramped room. Well, you know, if Harry Potter can start his journey from under the staircase, you know, God bless Josh and Will for getting yeah. it started. <laughs> so, so you've really been, you've been so change adaptive and, and for people, you, you, you have this logistics infrastructure, but you didn't study logistics in undergrad. You were English and psychology, something like that. Correct. So did not have that specialization, um, but was confident that with a growth mindset that mm -hmm. I could learn the things that I needed to learn. And then importantly, bring in the people that knew the things that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. That's what's interesting as I look around this office now with 100 people around us, that each person we've hired is better at the job that they do than I would be. Mm -hmm. Like Roni, right outside the door here on our talent team, mm -hmm. incredible at that role, better than I could be at it. And so being able to bring people into the organization that have these incredible skills to scaffold wherever I'm weak. Mm. Well, you know, in the, in the Anderson framing of it, you know, we talk about share success and I love that Dean Olean will talk about, we're not a sharp elbows and pointy knees type culture. And you self-described as, as super humble. And, and I can get that just talking with you, you know, how do you, because you don't have to be super humble. Now you're the man, but if you allow yourself to be super humble it allows you to do what you just described, which is surround yourself with excellence and be okay with that. And yeah. hire people to do the specific things that you don't know how to do. Yeah, something I'm just proud of. One of my personal values is low ego. Mm -hmm. And I think it's served me well. I see the evidence of that all around. In my commitment at Anderson, you know, I, people trust us. People say, okay, you're UCLA. You're a name brand. You're a tier one research university. It's not, it's not a mystery. You're UCLA. And uh, you currently charge $125,000 for the fully employed MBA program experience. So I'm going to give you my capital. I'm going to give you 15 to 25 hours a week for three years. But there's this implicit trust that it will be worth it. And my question to myself and what's, what I'm so appreciative of getting to talk to you today is, you know, I always say I don't want people to have a $100,000 MBA. You know, I want them to have a tenfold, twentyfold you know, I want them to have a million dollar, a $10 million, a $100 million MBA takeaway. And if you go to class and learn the knowledge, you'll be more intelligent. But I'm trying to, with this conversation with you, you're such an outlier. You know, we don't have hundreds of examples of people whose career went like yours did. So I'm listening for, you know, where's that, where's the bridge between your journey and the average person walking in leadership foundations each year? You know, how can they look at their own life and they can ask, well, what, what ruthless prioritization is FEMBO going to give me a chance to practice? And you talked about take a risk that's a bridgeable risk, that's a risk from your pre-existing expertise. Then you add the network and the experience of Anderson, and then you can connect dots with either new ideas or new confidence or new connections that you wouldn't have been able to do. So I'm not asking you a question. I'm kind of just <laughs> painting a picture because I'm trying to – how could, you know, how could we replicate this type of success within the existing MBA market? How could we take what's already a good, great experience and have it go the stair step above that? So I love this concept of the $125,000 MBA, that 
you know, you get your degree, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. would be the $125,000 version. So what's the risk that you're comfortable taking right now? What are you going to do beyond just going to class? My most valuable experiences were the additional things that I did. Nap and learning to speak in front of hundreds of people in cornhole. Mm-hmm. That put me way outside my comfort zone. You're going to learn a lot about yourself, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Friendships that I've made there that have helped with connections to investors, to people that we've hired at the business. And so what is the risk you're going to take during your time at Anderson? And understanding that going to class and doing your homework isn't a risk. What is the extra that you're going to do? Mm-hmm. If you just do that, you're kind of telling yourself the kind of career path that you're going to be on. Mm-hmm. You're going to play it safe. And hey, you're still going to add value to your career with an MBA. Those three letters will do something to your earning potential. But what about the people that went that extra distance and joined a club or led a club or tried to start a business or just built a ton of relationship? They got a ton more out of their time. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. Life is what you make of it. What you know, what you put in is what you take out. You know, I mean, we hear all those cliches, except in your case, they they were way more than cliches. They were a, a philosophy of approach to this. You know, I'm gonna keep trying. You know, you told me the most valuable thing you did is not quit. And I've been trying out this idea of how can we be tender with people's dreams, and this may not makes sense because you took some hard knock feedback where people told you impossible, but it's that, that idea that, you know, the, the brand new idea, it's like the baby bird that gets blown out of the nest. It's on the ground. It has no wings. It's ugly. It's shivering, you know, but if it's nurtured, you know, it can, it can turn into something real. And how can an MBA experience, I mean, we want it to be rigorous. We want it to challenge people, but at the same time, a new idea doesn't always look like a fully formed anything. It very often looks like that little naked, shivering baby bird. And you have to surround yourself with some of that positive encouragement to, to give it enough sustenance to grow and, and turn into something real. I wonder how much you can actually do that. Because in that analogy, the person that stays the shivering bird and waits for nurturing mm-hmm. is going to just die on the ground. Right, right, right. You have when to be proactive. Really, versus the bird that, like, s- f- looks for cover, screams back to its mom, mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just embrace that, take extreme ownership of your career, your education, your whatever. Mm. So, I like the concept, but the person that needed that level of nurturing to be comfortable speaking about an idea will quit when faced with adversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost, yeah, yes, it's not a perfect metaphor because where does, because there is that kind of ruthless prioritization, there's that tenacity to stick with it. And so the, the little bird mm-hmm. itself, it's almost like you're the caregiver of the bird. For me, it's almost like creating a space where it's okay to fail, mm-hmm. right? So like I learned how to be bad at public speaking before I learned how to be good because I got reps Mm-hmm. at Anderson. Mm-hmm. So I was able to speak in front of a class and then in front of a full room then in front of a full convention hall. Mm-hmm. And that got me ready for pitching in front of venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. So like I got the opportunity to fail. But if you 
don't take the swing at Anderson, you're sure as hell not going to take it outside of Anderson. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I love it. And you said, you know, public speaking was one of the greatest takeaways that that you left there with. I think it's really smart that the school requires it. I think everyone needs that skill to get to a certain level. You can be an individual contributor and just do your job and go home, but hopefully people are going to get their MBA with big aspirations and being able to communicate is a big one. And that was one of the best classes I took. Yeah, my way, when I when I teach the public communication or the business communication courses, it's you can be the smartest person in the room, but if you don't raise your hand, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And yet that, you know, your hand can start to weigh 10,000 pounds when you're in the meeting and you have an idea that is a little naked bird, possibly, you know, are they going to like this or not? And if you can let the MBA investment in yourself start to give you that extra level of confidence, mm-hmm. you know, but that is, I love how you said reps, just put the reps in. Because you can't read a book and learn how to speak in public, right? Mm-hmm. There are these certain life skills that we learn by living. Yep. Yeah. Well, I have taken up so much of your morning, and I'm so grateful for it. This is the $100 million podcast. We're 97, but we're rounding up. <laughs> um, as, we, as we start to wind down, you know, you have an opportunity with this recording to really speak to the, the students who are, who are following in your footsteps Maybe any, any kind of, you know, if I knew then what I know now or, or just flat out advice, <laughs> which section to choose, where to park, I don't know, big or small, you know, anything that you would want to reflect on or share forward, knowing that people who are listening to this really, they want to follow in your footsteps. You know, they want to, they want to go at a higher trajectory. That's why they're playing this unreasonable game of, you know, okay, I'm going to keep a job and go to grad school and it's all going to work out, you know, and now they're, they're listening to Brian. So with that long preamble, what, you know, what would you say to people getting ready to get their MBA? I remember the application question when I was applying for the FEMBA program. There were like three different types of, it was like career searcher, career changer, and help me out. Was it Yeah, yeah, enhancer, switcher, or, on, or yeah, entrepreneur. Right. right, so I knew I was or a explorer, I think. switcher. Okay. I knew I was going to go out of this and I wanted to go into entrepreneurship. Not everyone wants to go into entrepreneurship. If you listen to this podcast and you want to be an entrepreneur, my advice would be start. Mm-hmm. Take a risk. Try something. Start building something. I built a small game before I tried a business that didn't work, before I tried a business that did work. It's kind of going back to this reps. Mm-hmm. Start getting those reps. Mm-hmm. If you just always on the sideline, you know, that, that is your then fate. Um, for others, it might just be how do you innovate within your own organization and just it might be the same advice. It's like take that risk. What's the risk you're comfortable taking and take it? Mm-hmm. What's the risk you're comfortable taking and take it? So there's, there's a lot of self-awareness there. What risk am I willing to take and understand? Because we talked about you don't have to jump off the cliff. Your first effort, you know, that might be foolish. So what's a risk that's within my comfort zone and then pull the trigger and, and go for it. And it's funny, as I hear it out loud, I'm like, take a risk you're not comfortable taking. That's actually what I want to say because otherwise okay. it's not really a risk. Oh, okay. I, I like, like that. Starting the entrepreneurial journey for me was mm-hmm. about putting myself outside my comfort zone because I knew I would learn the most about myself there and I have. It's kind of startling <laughs> how much I've learned about myself and how it's hard now, what would make me uncomfortable is quite a high bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm going to revive that advice. My advice like would it. be take a, take a risk that you're uncomfortable taking. I like it. I like the in-the-moment upgrade. And then I and we do got to give the shout out to uh, the Global Access Program because I got to talk a little bit more about your your Anderson experience. So tell me a little bit. I know this is out of sequence, but tell me a little bit about your Global Access Program journey because you had a New Zealand company. Yes. So we were working with a CEO named Rachel Lacey of Dry Color. We were one of the first gap groups where they allowed a startup in. Mm. So she'd raised a couple million dollars for a pigment that could be stirred into paint, concrete, any number of different materials. And then it was, how can they enter the U.S. market, as Gap is wont to do. And it was a wonderful experience. It was wonderful having an opportunity to see a CEO, an entrepreneur like Rachel, building her business up from these very early days. And that was definitely a highlight for me of the Themba experience, was that GAP program and the relationship with my GAP group. Those are people that I still stay in touch with and kind of will always be rooting really hard for. Well, thanks. Because I wanted to just give our listeners, you know, it, it's, it's bigger than just your MBA, but your MBA is, is what we have in common. And so the, some of the highlights that we talked about, you know, the Professor Shinerock experience, entrepreneurship, venture initiation, the public speaking classes, and, the, and then the extracurricular public speaking. You did the 30-second pitch competition, which kind of got your feet wet, which led to the Nat Venture competition, which led to you pitching VC successfully. And then you had a really good gap experience, both in terms of your client and your, and your team. So for those of you listening, as you're looking forward to FEMBA, you know, those are three milestones that might be part of your journey. You know, everything at Anderson is build your own adventure. They were definitely part of Brian's journey. Um, yeah, because I'm just trying with these podcasts, I do want people to my, my observation of Anderson is our strength is we have 100 amazing faculty going in 100 totally discrete directions. And the challenge of Anderson is the same. And how do you build your own adventure when, mm-hmm. when there's so many options on the table? I love that formulation. How do you build your own adventure? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want, I'm, I'm super committed to the, the million dollar, the $10 million outcome. Um, and it, it may not be as quick as yours. Yours is incredible. Like you said, the venture process accelerates things. Yours is extremely condensed, but you know, the people who graduate from our program, they're going to create employment. They're going to create workable realities for all kinds of people who will never have the gift of second and third degrees, like the investment in education that people at Anderson make for themselves. So, you know, we, we're an important part of society. You know, this is, I'm sitting here, I got to keep facing the microphone, but if I look over my shoulder, <laughs> I see over a hundred people who are employed because of your proactivity. And, um, and it's just an honor to get to have this conversation. So, um, anything else as we, as we come to the draw of the podcast? I say thank you. I've always been impressed with you as a pioneer and steward of Thumba in particular. And I appreciate all of Anderson, but as a fully employed MBA, it is a different experience. And I appreciate the people that essentially double working for three years. It takes a time. And so it's hard for me also to say, take that risk you're uncomfortable taking because it's a risk that is then compromising on that last little bit of social life you had or that <laughs> extra time with your family. But I guess really appreciate it's those those extra things that you do in your time that are going to really let you make the most of the Thumbo experience. Well, I appreciate the acknowledgement and um, 
and I, I think that's that's it. The the opportunity cost principle gets so clear during FEMBA because anytime you do X, you're not doing Y, and your time becomes so precious. And it's an opportunity to choose from a really great group of choices. So I think if you're listening and you're and you're mapping out your future and you're looking at your trajectory and you're hopefully taking some inspiration from Brian's story, saying, "Well, if he can do it, what could I do?" I hope you take that advice to heart and. As you create your future in FEMBA and as you create the new opportunities and as the global world calls you forward, use clutter. <laughs> <laughs> or the new one is moving. The new one is the moving new... and storage. Yes. So, you know, buy American, shop UCLA, <laughs> um, you know, look Brian up and look up clutter and, and take advantage of, of the logistics support that he can offer your life. He'll take care of your stuff, get you where you're going. So thank you for listening. Brian, thanks for having us here on site. This is, this is inspiring. Of course.